Good morning. So the reading is from 1 Samuel chapter 12. And Samuel said to all Israel, Behold, I have obeyed your voice in all that you have said to me and have made a king over you. And now behold, the king walks before you, and I am old and grey, and behold, my sons are with you. I have walked before you from my youth until this day. Here I am, testify against me before the Lord and before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken, or whose donkey have I taken, or whom have I defrauded, whom have I, I oppressed, or from whose hands have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with it? Testify against me, and I will restore it to you. They said, You have not defrauded us, or oppressed us, or taken anything from any man's hand. And he said to them, The Lord is witness against you, and his anointed is witness this day, that you have not found anything in my hand. And they said, He is witness. And Samuel said to the people, The Lord is witness, who appointed Moses and Aaron and brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt. Now therefore stand still that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous deeds of the Lord that he performed for you and for your fathers. When Jacob went into Egypt and the Egyptians oppressed them, then your fathers cried out to the Lord, and the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, who brought your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in this place. But they forgot the Lord their God. And he sold them into the, ha into the hand of Sisera, commanded of the army of Hazor, and into the hands of the Philistines, and into the hand of the king of Moab. And they fought against them. And they cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and have served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. But now deliver us out of the hand of our enemies that we may serve you. And the Lord said, Jeroboam and Barak and Jephthah and Samuel and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side and you lived in safety and when you saw that Nahash the king of Ammonites came against you you said to me no but a king shall reign over us when the Lord God was your king and now behold the king whom you have chosen for whom you have asked behold the Lord has set a king over you if you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord. And if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. Now therefore stand still and see this great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. Is it not wheat harvest today? I will call upon the Lord that he may send thunder and rain, and you shall know and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord, in asking for yourselves a king. So Samuel called upon the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day, and all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. And all the people said to Samuel, Pray for your servants to the Lord your God that we may not die, for we have added to all our sins this evil to ask for ourselves a king. And Samuel said to the people, Do not be afraid, you have done all this evil, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. 
Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you, and I will instruct you in the good and right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. Amen. Thanks, Tanya. Uh, it'd be really good to keep your Bible open here at 1 Samuel 12. Uh, as I said, we are bringing this series in the life and ministry of Samuel to a close today. Uh, Samuel will pop up um, again in the books of, uh, book of 1 Samuel, um, but really this is the moment where he takes a step back and uh, Saul as king uh, takes a step forward. So it's a good place for us to wrap the series up. Uh, next Sunday, uh, the plan is to start a series that will go for three weeks, uh, four messages, including Christmas, and we're going to unpack uh, some of those titles that were given to the son to be born in Isaiah 9. Uh, wonderful Counselor, uh, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. So we're going to be thinking uh, how Jesus uh, fulfills these wonderful titles um, that the Lord promised uh, would be given to him. Uh, hopefully you've downloaded an outline or you got one on your way in this morning. Uh, those at home, hopefully you've been able to print one out. I uh, hope you follow along with us this morning. Now every day, uh, you and I, uh, we face choices and we have decisions that need to be made. Some big and some small. Research has suggested that adults make about 35,000 decisions, um, not in their lifetime, um, not in a year, uh, not even in a week, but every single day. Now, obviously, many of these decisions are made subconsciously. Uh, many of them are of very little consequence, um, and many of them are done without a great amount of thought. Uh, I don't think that many of us did a pros and cons when it came to deciding what cereal to have for breakfast this morning. Um, our stomach growled and we just reached for our favourite uh, and poured it into a bowl. Many of the choices that we make in our lives are, are quite inconsequential. But every now and then, uh, we make decisions, we make choices which are pretty big, which are pretty momentous. And as we dive into this passage this morning, uh, we actually find Israel being called by God to make one of those big, massive, momentous decisions. A decision of tremendous consequence. In fact, I want to suggest uh, the most important and consequential decision or choice they will ever make. And it's a decision and a choice that we've been called to make as well. And it's an answer to the question, who will be our king? Who will reign and rule over our lives? Now this call comes in this speech which Samuel is making to the nation of Israel. It's a speech that has been prompted by a change in his role in the nation. Uh, he is stepping back 
and Saul, who has just been anointed king, is stepping forward. But as Samuel hands over those reins, in a sense, um, he's posing an important question to Saul himself. Uh, You're going to be king, Saul, but who is going to be your king? And and to the people of Israel, you, you have your human king here that you ask for, but who will be your ultimate king? To whom will belong your allegiance? That's what we're going to think about this morning as we unpack, as we work our way through this passage. Who is our king? To whom belongs our ultimate allegiance, our trust? In whom do we put our ultimate hope? Now, before Samuel goes on to pose that question, uh, he does something really interesting. Uh, The bulk of the speech is actually a trial, or actually a number of trials going on. Three trials. Uh, Different players in the nation of Israel are being put on trial to see how they have performed, uh, how they have lived up or not lived up to the calling that they have. So he puts himself on trial, um, he puts the Lord on trial, and then finally he puts the nation of Israel on trial. And he's doing that so that when we make this choice, this decision about who will be our king, we're going to make it based on the best information possible. And so it starts with Samuel. And in a sense, he puts himself on the stand before the people and he asks them the question, how have I done? Testify against me, he said. If you have a look at verses 3 and 4, uh, he says, Whose ox have I st- taken? Whose donkey have I taken? Or whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed? Or from whom hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with it? Testify against me, and I will restore it for- to you. He's saying, okay, judge me, people, on how I've gone. A- and the people come back to him, and they say, You haven't done that. Samuel is, in a sense, found innocent. Uh, He hasn't done anything wrong. He hasn't taken. And we remember uh, that warning about kings from a couple of weeks ago. that They will take, but, but Samuel hasn't. He's been faithful in the calling that the Lord has given him. And as such, he is a model for future kings to follow. He set a standard by which other kings will be judged. Well, after that, the trial moves on from verse 6 onward. And in a sense, uh, Samuel puts the Lord God uh, on trial next. And he presents evidence on how the Lord has acted towards his people. He goes on to remind them how the Lord rescued them out of Egypt. He says, you cried out to God and He brought you out and he brought you into this land. The Lord was faithful to his covenant, to the promises that he made to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. But not only that, when you got into the land and you sinned and you rebelled and you ran after the other gods and you cried out to him, he sent deliverers to rescue you. He's proven himself 
to be faithful to you in that. What's the verdict? (laughs) The Lord has been faithful to the calling he himself gave. He's been faithful to the promises that he made and he brought them into the land and he delivered them over and over again. But now there's a final group uh, that is going to be put on trial. Uh, Samuel has been faithful. The Lord has been faithful. But what about God's people? Well, God's people have not been faithful to God. Not only did they turn to idols when they entered the land, but have a look at verse 12. When you saw that Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, came against you, you said to me, No, but a king shall reign over us. When the Lord your God was your king. They went after other gods and they rejected the Lord their God as their king by asking for a human king to reign over them. Now in verse 16, uh, something really interesting happens. If you want to have a look. Uh, Samuel tells the nation of Israel to stand still. And he points them uh, to the wheat harvest in the fields. And he calls out to God, and God sends thunder and rain on their harvest. Have a look at verse 20 and what he said. Oh, sorry, have a look at verse 17. He says, And you shall know and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord. What's the verdict on God's people? Well, the verdict comes from God, and it's a verdict of guilty. And it brings about a display of the punishment of God. Now, earlier this year, there was a a film that came out on Netflix, a sort of family-friendly film. Um, It's called Yes Day. I don't know if you've seen this one. Uh, It's where the the kids in the family have a day where they get to make all the decisions uh, about what happens and the parents can only have one response. They've got to say uh, yes to everything, hence uh, yes day. We watched it as a family. It's kind of fun. Kids enjoyed it probably more than uh, we did. Uh, But it it, it sort of shows this family um, learning a lot. Uh, The kids learn a lot about making decisions. Uh, Mum and dad learn a lot uh, as well. But it's, it's, it's based on this idea, isn't it? That we want to make the decisions for our own lives. Uh, we want to be king. We want to rule. And we want to do that without oversight and without accountability. But what happens when we do that? Well, Israel shows us, don't they? Israel shows us what happens when we reject the Lord as king. We sin against him, and the verdict is guilty. But you notice something else here that happens? 
the verdict is announced and the punishment comes, but it doesn't come on them. It comes on their fields next to them. Have a look at what he says here, here in verse 20 as well. And Samuel said to the, to the people, Do not be afraid. You have done all this evil. That, that's a weird statement, isn't it? Do not be afraid. You, you have done all this evil. Why is that? Because God's judgment has not come on them. You see, as we're about to, as they're about to make this decision, this choice about who will be king, uh, God is reminding them and he's reminding us uh, who he is and what he is like. He's reminding us of the king that we have in him. We have a faithful God, a covenant God, a rescuing God, and a merciful God. We have a God who calls people and keeps his people. Verse 22 promises not to forsake his people. A God who is ultimately merciful and has shown that mercy in Christ. Now with those three trials done and with the character of God established, uh, Samuel now does something else in his speech here. He moves on to set up the criteria on which the king and any future kings will now be judged. How they will be tried by God and before God. Now, we skipped over a couple of chapters in the series here after, after Stephen preached last week. But in, in chapter 10, as Saul is made king, something really important happens. Um, they write down a list of all the rights and the obligations of the king... Um, Saul, in a sense, sees it and acknowledges it, and those rights and obligations are placed before the Lord. Uh, Samuel has also set a standard by which kings will be judged, uh, whether they were kings who gave or kings who took. But here, it's being made clear what the final judgment will be. Will the king walk in the ways of the Lord? Have a look at verse 14. Look, look at what it says. If you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, and if both you and your king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. Now, to the people, uh, Samuel, uh, sorry, Saul looks the goods, doesn't he? He's the king that they wanted. He's the king that they asked for. You remember his name is Sa'al, to ask. He's the king that they asked for. Stephen highlighted some of those wonderful things about him last week. Uh, how tall he was, you know, a head taller than anybody else. Uh, he was handsome. Uh, he was kind of humble. He, he's led, this, um, led them on this incredible military victory over the Philistines. 
But that's not what he's going to be judged on. This will be his true test. Will he walk in the ways of the Lord? Will his king be the ultimate king? Will he and the people with him walk in the ways of the Lord? You see, when we're asking this question, who who will be king of our lives? uh, We want to make sure that we're judging the king on the right criteria. That we have all of the facts. Now, most of us, or many of us, at some time or another, um, will have bought a a second-hand car. Uh, Not many people go out and buys their first car a new car. So most have been, been through that process of trawling through carsales.com or, or, or Gumtree or, or Facebook Marketplace looking for, for, for just the right car. It's tempting when we do that, isn't it, to, to, to judge it by some of the externals. Ooh, the colour. <laughs> it's just the colour I was after. Ooh, it, it has a sunroof and retractable mirrors. Uh, this has got to be the car for me. Oh, look at that, keyless entry. I'll pay the deposit right now. It's tempting to do that, isn't it? Uh, But when we do that, uh, we could be buying a lemon. Uh, The engine could be shot, there could be rust all underneath it. It looks good, (laughs) but it's actually a lemon. You see, what you and I need, what, what God's people need, is actually not about externals. Uh, What we need is a king whose king is the Lord God. We need a king that is going to lead us to God. So Saul, the right kind of king? Well, Stephen highlighted last week that already in his calling there were signs um, that Saul is on shaky ground. He doesn't know where to go to find the the word of God. Um, He can't even be prepared enough to bring money to feed himself and his servant. Um, He's already run away from responsibility on at least one occasion. And if you want to keep reading in the books of 1 Samuel, you'll, you'll notice that things just get worse. Starts really small. Just some small compromises here and there. But before we know it, uh, Saul is consulting a witch to raise Samuel from the dead so that he might get wisdom from him. Saul fails because he doesn't walk in the ways of the Lord. He fails because he doesn't mediate the Lord's rule. His king is not the ultimate king. He doesn't lead his people to God. And sadly, this is going to be the case for king after king after king. Next will come David, and he will be a whole different kettle of fish. He will be way better, and he will actually set a new standard for other kings to follow. But even he will fall short of this. But in the midst of all of that failure, uh, there will be a promise of a king who won't. 
a true king whose king is the Lord God, a promised king who will be better than the best of them. The king which Isaiah will talk about in Isaiah 9, a son to be born who, on whose shoulders the government will be laid, a son called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, the one who will have a, a rule uh, and a kingdom that will never end. In a couple of chapters later in Isaiah 11, he will identify where this king comes from. And there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, David's dad, and a branch from its roots shall be a fruit, and the spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. This will be a king who walks in the ways of the Lord. This is what we need, isn't it? Not a lemon, uh, not one that looks good but doesn't deliver, not a king that promises much but fails, not a king that gives us what we want, but a king that leads us to the true king. And in Jesus, we have him. In Jesus, we have the one who comes from the line of kings, but doesn't walk in their ways. A king that, when he was tempted, was promised the nations of the earth if he would bow down to Satan. But he refused so that he would obey his heavenly father. A king who doesn't take but a king who gives, who gives his own life as a ransom for many. A king who is faithful. A king who conquers sin and death and rises victorious from the grave and sits at the right hand of the Father. The king who leads us back to God. In Jesus, we find the true king has been given. But there is still one thing to consider. Will that king be our king? He is the right and true king of the universe who reigns over everything. But will he reign in our lives? Will he reign over our hearts and our minds? Will we submit to him as he leads us to God? In Micah's kids talk, he highlighted verse uh, 21 in chapter 12. And where it says, And do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. What's that talking about? Well, it's, it's talking about all the alternatives that are out there that compete to rule over our lives. The things that we look to for profit, to, to, to give us good things, 
the things that we look to to deliver, to, 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 to save us from the things that are bad. The things that might reign in our hearts rather than the Lord Jesus. The things that might look good, fool's gold, as Micah put it, but are empty and devoid of hope that do not profit and do not deliver. They might look good, they might satisfy for a little while, they might help us escape from some of the hardships of life for a bit, but they fail the ultimate test. They do not lead us to God. When all along, the Lord has given us the truest and best king ever. One who wants what is good. One who delivers us from what is evil. Who leads us to the Father who is faithful and merciful. He's the king you can count on. He's the king that will never let you down. He's the king that passes the test. He's the only king to serve with all your heart. And let's pray to him now. Lord God, we thank you that you have given us in the Lord Jesus the one true and right king the one who was perfectly obedient, the one who gave rather than took, the one who passed the, the true test, the one who gives us what we need and brings us to you. Lord God, we acknowledge that there are many things that we turn to instead. Many places that we look for salvation, for hope, for joy, for peace, rather than the true king. Forgive us, Lord God, and remind us again how wonderful our Saviour Jesus is, in whose name we pray. Amen.